Uh, my name is Matthew, and uh, it is just such a joy to, to, to be here today uh, with, uh, with four of these people who have, who have given their lives to Christ, who are being baptized. Um, so not only uh, Saju and Clara in this service, but also um, uh, Ainsley and Laura in the first service. And it's just so encouraging to see these four people just uh, dedicating all that they are to, to Jesus. Um, and and so uh, today is also Palm Sunday. Um, uh, today is the day, for, for 2,000 years, the church has celebrated Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem as a king. And I'll say more about that a little later on. But I want to start with this. Dallas Willard says, quote, The governing assumption today among professing Christians is that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. He's saying that there's this sense in which people can, we can label ourselves Christian, but that we're never truly following Jesus. We wear it as a badge, a label, that's our tribe, that's our identity, that's, you know, maybe that's the family I grew up in. But that the question is, are we actually following Jesus? And for, for the, since 2018, our church has just been focusing um, exclusively on this challenge to be followers of Jesus. Uh, we're using the language that Dallas Willard used of apprenticeship to Jesus, that, that we believe that he, um, he is Lord, he is God, uh, but he is the great teacher, and we want to come under his teaching. He wants to show us how to live, and that's what the word disciple means, an apprentice, a follower. Um, that he's actually, that, that Jesus would actually be leading our life. That's, that's our desire. Uh, that's the journey that we're on. And if, and if you're new to Jesus, uh, you're welcome to join us as we are uh, on this journey to follow him. Um, uh, sounds simple enough, uh, but there's a high calling. There's a, there's a cost. And we're going to see that today. Um, in the Bible. Uh, I want to just give you a couple paintings here. These are my two favorite painters in the world. And I'm going to put them side by side. Uh, one of them is uh, on the left, the painter is Brad Price. And on the right, the painter is Nathan Price. Uh, that is my father on the left and my brother on the right. And uh, man, I wish you could see these paintings um, uh, in person. They pop. The colors pop. And uh, uh, my mom and I have had the privilege of, of, of having uh, these two artists in our family. And uh, they're just so good. They're just so talented. They ooze with talent. And it feels like God didn't really share the wealth. Uh, he just kind of dumped it on two individuals. Just boom. Uh, and so uh, my mom and I, we do stick figures. Uh, we, do them, we do them quite well, I think. Um, but anyway, but, but, but I, I bring up those two paintings to just, to just show you that my brother... Our whole lives has grown up under the teaching of my dad. Um, my brother had this yearning to draw and to paint, and uh, he is, he's very talented at it, and, and he currently does this um, as part of, part of his job. And my dad is a full-time painter as well, and so my brother was able to sit under his teaching, under his uh, uh, skills. <laughs> and so uh, this, this, for years, I mean for decades, my brother has had this direct access to an incredible painter. And my brother has done a good job um, soaking as much as he can from, from the artist. And uh, I love that picture of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? Uh, the nearness, the proximity to someone who knows what life is all about, who knows how to paint a life. Jesus knows how to do it. <laughs> 
and uh, we think we know how to do it, and so we set off on our own, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and yet I have found in my life um, uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> I have to come back to him, the great teacher, to show me how to live my life. Do we believe he's God? Yes. Do we believe he's Lord? Yes. But he is a great teacher. And today, he is going to give us the exclusive call. He's going to say, come follow me. Um, I'll show you how to paint a life. Jesus, we know you're here. We know you're in the room right now and that you are very much uh, willing to take our lives and to shape them and form them and guide them. And Jesus, we would ask that in these moments, you would show us how to live, how to follow you. In your precious name, we pray this. Amen. Would you grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 57 to 62. Also, if you're brand new to Jesus, so glad you're with us. Don't worry about it. If you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But for those who own Bibles, they should have brought them, right? Okay. It's terrible. Subtle guilt trip. It's horrible. Luke 9, 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So this is the word of the Lord. All right, (laughs) some of this sounds bizarre. It sounds blunt. Uh, It's hard to hear, but let's dive in. All right, 57 and 58. So as they were walking along, who's they? This is Jesus. These are his followers. These are his disciples. They're walking along a road, and a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow, A plus. Good job. (laughs) Pop quiz. Um, He wins. He gets it. He gets A plus, right? Uh, And remember, the context here, if you'll remember last week, is that Jesus has just Um, uh, not been offered hospitality in a Samaritan village. For those of you who were with us last week, remember, he goes to a village in Samaria. These are typically enemies of the Jewish people, so, so, but they close the door, you know, no vacancy, not allowed to eat here. They show no hospitality to Jesus, so they have to keep walking. And so Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's saying a fox has a better chance of finding a place to sleep than I do. Birds have a better chance of finding a nest, right? As you begin to, it's like Jesus is saying, as you begin to follow me, you're going to have to really deal with the idea that you're going to be rejected. Um, He says the son of man has no place to lay his head. Son of man is just Jesus' title for himself. It's connected to the book of Daniel. Too big of a story. But anyway, son of man, that's Jesus says, Jesus, you know, I, Jesus, have no place to lay my head. He's homeless. Following Jesus leads to this version of homelessness. Never quite at home. Never quite secure in one place. You're thinking, 
And how is this appealing? <laughs> right? How is this appealing when it comes to following Jesus? But there's this sense in which Jesus will become home for us. Right? He'll become home. And, and, and that there's going to be some, something's always going to feel a bit off about the world around us. Even, even, let's say, living in the country that we live in. Do we love Canada? Absolutely. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's not your home, though, when you follow Jesus. Do you love your political affiliation? I'm sure we all do, right? I'm sure some of us do. It's good to be a good citizen, right? It's good to be a good citizen. But, but that political affiliation is not home. It's just not. What else? You know? The group you're a part of, the community you're affiliated with, the city you live in, all of it, good. You should be good neighbors and friends and coworkers and citizens and all of that. But when you follow Jesus, there's this sense of homelessness. No government, no organization, no group, no worldview will ever feel like home because your home, I think Jesus is saying, is going to be in me. I'm home. I'm home. As you follow me, your home will be in me. Have you noticed things have been a little bit polarized in the last couple of years? Anyone? <laughs> Everyone's mad. But when you think about the, po the political polarization, there is this sense. I'm just going to give an example of this. There's this sense in which, as we follow Jesus, um, when our vote is for Jesus, you know, we should wear a little button that says, I voted today for King Jesus. That's who I voted for today. I went to the ballot booth and, bought, and marked Jesus as king. And because we do that as Christians, we're going to feel a little off in the polarization of the day. There's no political party where, as, I, as I've tried to navigate, I, I, I carry two passports. I'm a, an American and a Canadian, and I get to vote in, in both places. And, you know, north of the border or south of the border, no matter what political party it is or it, I, there's a sense of homelessness. You don't, it doesn't, there are certain things that feel Jesus-y about a political party. And then there's other things that you're like, come again? What? <laughs> what is, why is that there? You know? And then, and then you go to another group and you're like, okay, there's some things that feel Jesus-y about them. And then, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, why is that there? And, the, and there's this sense of homelessness. Do you follow what I mean? Like, like, I, I also find it in conversations, too. I don't know if you've been in a conversation where, you know, you, you maybe jive completely with this person. I mean, about ethics and politics and worldview and faith, and you're just, you're jiving, right? Like, like the two of you see eye to eye on so many issues, but then you watch the tone shift in the conversation, and there's this anger towards others. Right? There's just this, this bitterness towards those on the other side. And then you, you just have a sense of like, whoa, I, I can't go there, right? Because even though you're right on with what we would call truth, the tone is not Jesus, right? The tone's off. And so you're like, man, why is it that I just feel like there's no home base here? And that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at. There will be often times where there will be no place to lay your head when you follow me. I love Rich Mullins, who wrote a song called You Did Not Have a Home. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the hope 
of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. You, Jesus, have the shoulders of a homeless man. And the world can't stand what it can't own. And it can't own you because you did not have a home. Verses 59 to 60. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. (laughs) At which point, most of us need to go, what? (laughs) That should be your reaction to this. What? You know, when we have these Bible reading plans where we just read through the Bible quickly, don't read through the Bible quickly. (laughs) Pause and go, oh no. Please help me understand this verse, right? This seems so wrong. Jesus, the guy, wants to go home and bury his father. Let the guy do it, please. (laughs) And I'm, I'm aware that this can be like really sensitive to some of you in the last few years who've lost a parent, right? I mean, this feels awful. The guy's grieving. I just want to say, there might be something we're missing here, okay? And I hope, I hope this is helpful. Um, Kenneth Bailey, uh, who has done a lot of work, he's a, a scholar who's done a lot of work in Middle Eastern culture. Um, I heard about his work through my professor at college or at Regent uh, named Daryl Johnson. And so through Daryl Johnson, I learned about Kenneth Bailey, who, who really helps us understand what this meant in a Middle Eastern culture. So... Let me go and bury my father is a Middle Eastern way of saying, let me go serve my father until his death, then I'll come follow you. Okay, I think this is the best way to understand this passage because his dad isn't dead yet. So his dad isn't dead yet. This man says, listen, Jesus, this is great. Love your movement. It's amazing. I'll follow you. Once my dad passes away and I'm no longer, you know, committed to, to the family business or whatever it is, right? I'll, I'll follow you when I can be, you know, in charge of my own life. You know, but at this point, I've made a commitment. Um, I'll follow you later, right? He has a commitment. This guy has a commitment that rivals his commitment to Jesus. How would you reply today? Yeah, Jesus, great, love the movement, love everything about it, but first I need to go dot, dot, dot. Do what? <laughs> what's, the, what's the thing? What do you need to do first? First, Jesus, I uh, need to get my degree, I uh, need to party a little bit, need to have some fun, uh, need to uh, make sure that I'm, I'm settled in some ways, partly because we know the way he's called us to live would clash with some of the ways I want to live. I've, I've got some commitments here. I've committed to a certain way of life, and following Jesus isn't convenient. In my life, I, I was pondering this text, and I was like, okay, what, what does this mean to me? And this is just an example from my life, but I realized I have this commitment I've made. It's weird. I've never said it out loud, right? It's usually only commitments in the heart, but a commitment I've made to please people. It's, I've made that commitment. Um, so I would say, I think, to, in an honest moment to Jesus, Jesus, first, let me go make sure people will be happy with me. 
and then I'll come follow you. I've got a rival commitment. I, ha- I have this commitment to please people. And uh, there's always a nugget of good in it, isn't there? There's always a nugget of good, right? There's this part of it which is good, but, but there's a part that can be crippling and I need healing. So I think this young man in the Bible feels this need to please his father. That's a good thing, obviously, beautiful. But it stands in the way of his commitment to follow Jesus. People-pleasing stands in the way. What commitments have I made that rival my commitment to Jesus? Let's keep reading, verse 61 to 62. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay, and and here Jesus goes again, right? Okay, please, Jesus, can the guy go say goodbye to his family? You know, I mean, how fast are you walking? Because it shouldn't take that long. Just goodbye, and then join up with the group that's walking. Can he give a little kiss to his mom, a hug to his dad? Um, well, Daryl Johnson and Kenneth Bailey, again, uh, they help. And they say that, that this, this what, is, what the text is getting at is that goodbye here really means take leave of. Take leave of. So it's in, a, in a Middle Eastern culture, it's you have to get permission from the person who is in authority over you. Right? right? You, need to t- you need to get permission for them to say, okay, you may go, right? And, and the person here is looking back to another authority, right? I, I, it's not just like, kiss mom goodbye, hug dad goodbye. It's like, mom, dad, can I do this, right? So I think they're coming to what feels now, Jesus is saying, what, a higher authority than me? A you know, rival authority here? <laughs> no, you just come follow me, Right? You come follow me. And so it's like a farmer, Jesus is saying, and um, you try to farm your field and you're supposed to look ahead with your plow, right? In order to be a good farmer. And uh, this is where my expertise ends. I was thinking like, here's Matthew jumping in on teaching people how to farm. But I think you just like go forward. And I, you know, so I think the image of like turning behind and looking would be bad because the it would not be like a straight line or it would zigzag and the ox would go wherever. Don't know. Really don't know. You probably know better than I do. But the idea there is that you're looking back, right? And it's not good for farming. Oh. <laughs> Jesus loves me, even though I fail at farming images. It's good. Um, so think about authorities, right? Is there anyone in your life that has this authority or influence over you that is keeping you from following Jesus? Man, this is a real-life deal for some of you, maybe, in the room, who have a mom or dad. Maybe they're of another faith. Maybe they don't have a faith, atheist agnostics, and they're like, oh my goodness, my child is going to church. This, my life's over, right? I can't, like, you're following Jesus? What? And, and, and there's the sense in which you want to honor your parents, but it, it is not working. They are not pleased. They're not pleased. Um, I got a chance to travel with uh, Rob Thiessen to Egypt a number of years ago, and lots of uh, Muslim young people, when they want to choose to follow Jesus, they face this. This is a real deal um, in their life, right? 
And the difficult challenge for us is how do we continue to love those people in our life, to love our parents, to honor our parents, but to take leave? Do you know what I mean? We love them, we honor them, we care for them, but they don't have a higher authority than Jesus in our life. For some of you, maybe the parent thing doesn't really fit, but maybe there's a friend. Um, maybe there's a spouse. Maybe there's a coworker. For some of you who are old enough to have grown children, maybe one of your children is kind of no longer into Jesus and the thought that you're still following Jesus and it's like, mom and dad, are you serious? You know? And there's this sense, how will you manage this? Because Jesus' authority is higher than any of those other people, right? That they don't have a claim on your life and there's this fear we have of wanting to just kind of like, you know, honor them, follow them. And it's real, it's a real thing. And and I just wanna say, like, there is no possible way that in a sermon like this that we could navigate all of the complexities. Are you in community? Do you have someone you love that you could sit down with this week over coffee and be like, okay, I need to figure this out. I feel like I've got a rival authority that's keeping me from fully following Jesus. And let that person pray for you. Let that person listen to you and work that out because it's complex, especially in a marriage, right? If you're in a marriage where you feel like one person is kind of keeping you from following Jesus, um, what does that look like? For you to continue to love your spouse, care for your spouse, bless your spouse, but to go, ah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus here. Again, super complicated, but work it out in community. That's why we're in groups, right? That's why we do this together. Um, all of this sounds so exclusive, doesn't it? If you're new to Jesus here today and you're like, whoa, the bar is pretty high when it comes to following Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Actually, a lot of Christians aren't aware of that. (laughs) And uh, when we start following Jesus, we're like, oh, the bar is really high. Yeah, it is. But if you could see this, I love this picture. Nate Hasty is one of our interns, and he shared with me this image that uh, a biblical scholar named Tim Mackey uses for, for, for a guide. Jesus is like a mountain guide, right, who has walked the path to the summit, And he's come back and he's walked it a thousand times with a thousand people, right? More than that. He knows the way. He knows the way to a life that works. He just does. He gets it. He knows the way to the heart of the Father. He knows what it means to have life in the fullest. And he's going to show you the way up the mountain. There are other ways that lead to cliffs and being lost in the wilderness. But he's been there before, (laughs) And he wants to lead you on this. And it sounds so exclusive, but it's actually the safest thing you can do is to trust your life into his hands. And, and, and we remember that not only does he know the way, <laughs> he paved the way. He paved the way. And we're about to celebrate it this week. This is the most important week for Christians in the calendar year. Today we begin with Palm Sunday where the crowds were singing, King, King, right? Hosanna, God saves with palm branches, but very quickly, within a few days, the crowd turned to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And what did Jesus do? He gave up his life for us. He was killed. His blood was shed so that you and I might find forgiveness of sin, that we might be saved. And so he paved the way. He loves us enough to show us the way. He knows the way. He knows the cost. 
He knows what it costs for there to be a way. And other commitments and authorities will have, other commitments and authorities will make the way so much more complicated and will lead to death. But he loves me enough to show me that. I want to give an image here. I think what Jesus is getting at is the phrase purity of heart. Purity of heart. I had the chance to talk with the, the staff of Power to Change this last week um, about purity of heart. And, and I would love to just share a little bit with you of what I shared with them. When Jesus was teaching, he said this. He looked at his followers and he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. What's pure in heart? What does that mean? Well, I love how Soren Kierkegaard defined it. He says, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. To will one thing. In the Greek, the Greek language, the, the Greek for pure is the word katharos, which is where we get our word cathartic. You know, you go to like a soccer game and you just, Wah! you know, whatever you do, or you go to a hockey game and yeah, and there you have this, whoa, I just released all these emotions, you know, you feel cleaned out with your emotions, or you watch like a, a movie that makes you cry, right, and you're just sobbing, and you got Kleenex everywhere, and you're like, wow, that was a cathartic experience, well, why would you say that? Well, because all of this stuff on the inside got out, right, it's cathartic, it's katharos, and it's purifying you, right, it's purifying you, and it's what happens with gold, right, what happens with gold and so the craftsman sits next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible and it's stirred and skimmed to remove all the impurities or dross that rises to the top of the molten metal and the temperatures are in excess of a thousand degrees celsius and the gold goes through katharos is what it does right impurities have to go so that what are you left with you're left with pure gold pure gold and this is the image of following Jesus, right? Purity of heart, that there are some impurities that come to the surface. You have to acknowledge those and let him clean you of those so that what's left with is pure discipleship, pure relationship with Jesus, right? It's natural. So, see, so these three characters in the Bible, they have to go through this. They have to let the impurities rise to the top. They've got other commitments. They've got other authorities. They need to deal with that. They've got assumptions about what it's like to follow Jesus. And they come to the top and he just, he cleans those. And more and more, they're left with this purity, pure gold. And just so you know, I want to just give you these quick two stories. Um, Jesus describes this purity of heart with these two brilliant little parables. Really quick. Number one. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. He said, so Jesus is saying, following me is like finding treasure. It's worth like going away, selling all of, all of that you have, buying that field because you know right there is a treasure. So follow me. There's a treasure here. It's beautiful, right? Notice the joy. Following Jesus is not like, oh, okay, you know, and sometimes we treat it that way, but like, look, Jesus is saying, it's like finding a treasure in a field. Would this not be the most common sense investment you've ever made? <laughs> Go sell it all and follow Jesus, and there's joy there, or he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it, so this 
this merchant is walking around, you know, the open, uh, open fair market or whatever in the, in the ancient world, and he sees a pearl. And he's like, oh, this person has no idea what they have. <laughs> Quick, and you see the guy, his assistant is in the car. Like, keep the car running. We got to go. We got to go sell everything we have, <laughs> grab all of our money, and come back and buy this pearl. This is it. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's like to follow me. Lots of joy. You found something to give your entire life to. And he's in, this is purity of heart. One clear, focused vision. Pure, katharos, right? And I've mentioned this a few times before here at our church, but we cannot have purity of heart until we see something powerful here. These two little stories I shared with you, they're autobiographical. They're about Jesus. When Jesus shares these, yes, they are about us coming, <laughs> finding something beautiful in him, but they're actually about him. Let me show you how. Jesus gives up the riches of heaven, gives it all up to come for his treasure. It's you. Jesus gives up the riches of heaven, gives up his life so that he can come and find the pearl of great price, which is you. You. The New Testament language says that he purchased us by what? By his own blood. By his own blood on the cross. When you look at the cross, see God himself who was willing to sell it all, give it all up to find you, his treasure, his pearl. We can only have purity of heart when we realize we have been loved with such a pure heart by Jesus. And what's the reward? Is the last thing I'll say. Listen to it. Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They will see God. What? <laughs> I can't even describe what the, what's being promised here. It's staggering. You'll see God in all his glory, in all his love, in all his freedom, with all of his grace, with all of his mercy, in all of his life, will see God? Yeah. You will see God. Can you stand with me here today? We're going to pray. As we pray, I want to let you know there'll be some people up front here who would love to receive you for prayer. They're going to stand up here. There's also our prayer room in the back. Our prayer team would love to pray for you that you would just know how loved you are, that you are the pearl of great price, that you are the great treasure, and that there is a joy in following Jesus. If there is anything in your life that you're feeling like is just a barrier to following him, would you come receive prayer from our team? But right now, just with our eyes closed and if you want your hands open, outstretched before Jesus, I just want to ask this. As you stand before Jesus, what are other loves that you're nurturing? What are other commitments and authorities and loves, really, that you and I are nurturing? And probably right now in your heart, some things are coming to mind. 
and just let those come to the surface because that's what happens in katharos. Certain things will pop up. Would you just simply give those to Jesus? Ask him to clean you. Ask him to be your one thing. Jesus, be our one thing. We've got all kinds of things that are just fighting for our commitment and that try to be authorities in our lives. And Lord, we're, we're, we want to follow you with a pure love. And so Jesus, would you hear this prayer? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. And riches I heed not, nor vain, empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only the first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Amen.